Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Verge. Today, we are welcoming Mr. John Mumford. He is the president and chief risk officer at the Fellsway Group. Um, welcome, John. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Yeah, sure. Before we get started, just to play on words, I hope to keep everybody on the verge of their seat uh, with today's content. So I'm really <laughs> right, excited yeah, to be included, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, my name is John Mumford. Um, uh, prior to founding uh, Felsway Group, which Felsway Group is a cyber risk management consulting firm, where we, through our assessment process, we basically position our consultants as a fractional CISO in organizations that may not have that skill set or or that role in their company, and, and we run their cyber program. Um, the company was founded in 2017. Prior to that, I worked in Fortune 100 my entire career. I'll say honing my experiences because I never like to call myself an expert because the bad actor is the expert. They're outpacing us, which is why breaches are on the rise. And we need to all, all, all do better. But uh, I worked for Travelers, Travelers Property Casualty, Travelers Life and Annuity, Citigroup, Liberty Mutual, honing that, those experiences to kind of define what our practice is today. Um, and we feel that what we offer is a very practical approach to managing cyber risk in any size organization or industry. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. I think the first topic, uh, you know, we were just talking before we started recording about the clean desk methodology yeah. and having the consumers come into the healthcare organizations and still being able to see where they could snap a picture or actually get to the data and really having this clean desk methodology within the healthcare organization. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I think a, a common I call it a failure. It's a it's a broken control or a, uh, our inability as practitioners in the healthcare industry to adhere to a policy, which is clear desk policy is where this is classified, where I don't have critical data displayed on my screen. I don't have printouts of medical records on my desk. And, you know, I don't unlock my file folders so people casually walking by. So what I've seen a lot in you know, as just a uh, a consumer of the healthcare services, whether it's a eye doctor or my doctor's office or um, uh, an emergency room, because the focus of these healthcare providers is so focused on health and human safety as their number one risk, mm -hmm. the secondary risk of remaining, you know, confidentiality and privacy of of healthcare records seems to you know be a basic principle that I see ignored or avoided or forgotten about, like leaving records or screens up, and I can just walk by and take a picture of it, um, you know, very easily. And and I think it's just a 30, you know, three second thing to put something in a drawer or hit Windows L or, you know, shut the screen off or whatever. And I, I think that would carry a long way of accidental data breach um, mm -hmm. in the healthcare industry. Yeah, I mean, I think it's even true. You bring up good points for everyone working remotely at home, right? I mean, I have four screens going on here and my kids play, you know, just behind me in the living room. And I'm always conscious of control, alt, delete, not because they could read something and do something bad, but they could end up deleting something. Um, what, what do you think about all of this happening and all of these people working remote now? Yeah, I Coffee think shops. 
Yeah, great question, Rebecca. I think remote work brings on new challenges because sometimes technology can't always reach to time out someone's machine because you're outside the network. So it requires, again, you as the user to remember these sort of basic principles. But you do become comfortable because you say, oh, I'm in the confines of my home or mm-hmm. uh, you know, a remote location. But yeah, you the accidental loss is real. So Accidental loss by an insider doesn't always need to mean malicious. Uh, Mm -hmm. My cat jumped up on my desk and, you know, hit the delete key as they walked across my desk. I didn't think about that, right? And I had a critical file up on my screen. But if I had locked my screen, that wouldn't happen, right? right? So it's not only is it that, that accidental loss or, you know, it's a, it's a error from a insider threat perspective. I think it's a real thing that we do forget about. We we grow comfortable with our surroundings. And then what happens is we go um, and work from a coffee shop and we forget those same principles. So, you know, it extends everywhere. But, you know, it starts with you just being, you know, look around, be aware of your surroundings. Remember that it's important and incumbent upon us to maintain that level of privacy and confidentiality for the people we serve. And it mm-hmm. takes two seconds. There's not a lot of technology required or training required, and it's a good safeguard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just hitting home even more, I love the clean desk, just saying those words <laughs> makes me yeah. think like what's happening here. Um, but also just, um, you know, being conscious of if you are that practitioner or clinician and you're in that coffee shop, a lot of telehealth is going on and and making sure that, you know, people can't hear you even, you know, speak. Um everybody's recording something just you just always have to think that everybody's recording uh these yeah, days it's it's a scary world what the internet has enabled in my profession because mm-hmm. <clears throat> nothing's ever really deleted and everything yeah. is being traced and recorded so just thinking about those things whether you're you know in a in an elevator you would stop talking if you had a private conversation you know with your spouse or or whatever, or a business yeah. colleague, you would you would hush until that person left the elevator. So just again, applying that simple principle to here, I think goes a huge long way. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I um, I I want to switch over and start talking about um, how people are doing certain things to speed up the care of healthcare using technology, but it's not always security wise, the best interest for everybody. The example would be, you know, texting your colleague and asking a question using, you know, patient information and not defaulting to the electronic health record and what that has to offer. And I think touching on the security part and then also touching on like how we still have so many gaps to bridge so that we're not going outside of the box to have these workarounds what what do you think yeah um uh, so i agree that technology is changing at the speed of light and therefore the delivery of digital services whether they're healthcare services or other uh is also moving at the speed of light and mm-hmm. privacy and security by design those principles aren't mm-hmm. always considered whether it's in the technology you use or in the business process you execute. My my example is 
Um, you have a business process that says you upload a file to this secure share, and then you invite someone with a passcode uh, to go access that. But we're struggling, and healthcare, you know, urgency is is escalating. And I just email it, or I just text yeah. it, because you want to get the job done. And I understand that, you know, what would you have done in the past? You'd have to wait for you know the snail mail to get there, or yeah. a courier to get there, or whatever, right? Or you'd be in person and blah blah blah. So I yeah. think whenever you have technology enabling things, you always open another possibility of a vulnerability um, because uh, those those technologies may not be used properly or they can be there are workarounds to get around it just because there's so many different ways to, to do the exact same thing. I'm trying to communicate to you securely. It's not working, but the urgency of the, the healthcare service rises. So I'm going to bypass that. So how do we have important dialogues about business process to ensure it's secure end to end when it should be? And is the uh, technology that we provided creating friction or reducing friction and simplifying mm -hmm. that process or not? And that's a tough dialogue. And, you know, but I think if companies take a moment and on a quarterly basis, at least review those things. Uh, yeah. It'd be interesting what you would discover. Yeah, I, I, this one hits home for me because I find myself over the years just bridging that gap and being almost like that language barrier translator of the IT and what they think is best and what they want to put in place. And either it's, you know, from the security, it's too tight or not tight enough. And then flowing over to operations and actually seeing how they operate and, and stopping and saying, wait, why are you actually using your phone to text message and how can we help you put something in place that's more secure um, and, and bridging those gaps so that the, the provider clinician can focus on the patient, but has the right tools to be efficient and lean. What, what are you seeing out there? Exactly what you just described. So there's never a, an end-to-end -end process, especially in the healthcare industry. You still need a human to intervene and you know uh, provide that that uh, care. Um, yeah. Automation may provide information to guide that person, but ultimately, you know the procedure isn't done fully automated. There's some manual steps that help move those things, and that's where I'm saying is since it isn't fully automated because there's some manual intervention within that, okay, I'll say digital process and end-to-end -end service or care. Mm -hmm. If you don't look at that periodically to see how often those manual steps start to create a bigger gap actually and a bigger exposure of privacy and security information, um, then the gap will just grow and grow and grow uh, until there's a, a breach or something like that and you have to reinspect it. So, um, Processes are designed to facilitate, not replace, but too many times people uh, get complacent on technology to replace good behavior. Um, and uh, I think that's the, the biggest part of the gap is they're trying to deliver their service. So why is that gap? Uh, uh, you know, the, the product developers don't understand the service. The, yeah. the people who integrate that product into the service don't understand the service. And the dialogues aren't happening. So how can you move privacy and security by design into a process if you're not having the conversation? Right. I have never watched you work. But right. here's a bunch of tools. 
<laughs> right. It kills me, right? There's so many products still out there today where they're not going in and watching the operations of the uh, yeah. individual or, or department or, you know, that, that workflow and why they actually go about their day doing this workflow. And, and it, it kills me more when I get in there and see how many workarounds they're doing because yes. of the technology. And why are we so far, you know, behind? Um, yeah, I think, I think more. So to me as a chief risk officer, I care about risk to the business and I care about um, minimizing and managing that risk as best I can to provide the goods and services and, uh, you know, not, you know, remain competitive and things like that. Um, if we didn't have that consistent review, uh, a business process review to ensure not only is technology doing what it's designed to do, because we all know we've used technology for different things. Look at what Facebook has become. It's a totally yeah. different tool than what it was originally intended for. Oh, okay. Yeah. So are you going back and saying, you know, are you using that scalpel the way you were designed to use that scalpel or whatever, you know, tool, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, everybody's used a hammer to do something that a hammer wasn't really in, originally designed to do, but we use it. If you right. don't look at how people are um, managing their process um, and executing on the, the, the healthcare service that they're providing, you'll never close these gaps. That's yeah. why I'm saying the biggest thing that I can suggest is you as a user, um, you know, be aware of the common things you could do, at least close your desk, you know, your screen and clean off your desk yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So John, I'd love to, um, I'd love to flip over and we've talked about, you know, the users really, the employees and, and who works in the healthcare system. But what about now this, you know, ever changing digital health model where patients are, you know, utilizing the software, they're eager to get into telemedicine, get their data, use their data in a meaningful way, even if it's a remote patient monitoring and communicating with their clinician. And I feel like now we have another gap to fill with educating them on, on the security of their, of their information. Yeah. I think that's a, a very interesting conversation to have aside from, I'll say the data protection. It's your data. You own it. So let's just talk about privacy laws that are emerging in the EU and in California and other, just privacy data. Yeah. And then we'll tie it back to healthcare private, you know, private information. Yeah. Privacy data is trying to put a little bit more of the onus on the the persons whose data is in question and give them more um, decision-making and access to that data. So for instance, are we providing the right consent up front? So think in your tele, telemed uh, example, is there a consent that happened? So mm -hmm. earmark that for a second. If there wasn't proper consent and I'm using, a, you know, I'm on a public Wi-Fi at Starbucks and I'm doing tele, that was my decision to sit there and, yeah. you know, talk about my issues uh, via telemed. Right, right. So how does the provider of that service get their consent that they're not going to do that? Because um, um, anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that point. Sorry about the rambling there, but um, these privacy laws are saying I have a right to be forgotten. I have right to edit my data. So to your point, if I'm putting the contents back in my hands, mm -hmm. you know, we think that we're pushing the onus of privacy back on me. But if you don't have good consent language in the healthcare industry or otherwise, 
and you aren't doing enough, then maybe you shouldn't provide that service until they've met those requirements in the consent. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the other thing is, if there was a breach during my Starbucks telemed scenario, I I have a thousand dollars to my name. You got a billion dollars yeah. to your name as an injury. The the lawsuit's going to go after you Absolutely. because you didn't create an effective line of demarcation from a legal standpoint as to who the owner of that data is. Yeah. And I think there needs to be a follow-on conversation of what you just described from a legal standpoint and a liability standpoint as to we're we're again we're leveraging technology to expedite healthcare which is wonderful i love it um in a remote world yeah um but i don't know that we've talked through the unintended consequences of data loss in that scenario to say who is liable so do you have cyber insurance if we lose it do i have cyber insurance before we engage in this consensual um uh, business process of providing healthcare over tele. Yeah. Yeah. Telemark, uh, tele, telematics, whatever yeah. we want to call it. Yeah. Tele, yeah. And, and I think it, even, it grows even more. I mean, you have, um, you know, you have the diabetes patients and heart rate monitors and, and all these amazing tools are being used for remote patient monitoring as well and data flowing back and forth. And, um, it's great that it's on the patient. I think we should own it. I, I want to own it. But then it, it just, again, like you said, opens up a whole nother can of worms. And then there's the, the I'll say the eye in the sky or the, of the third party nobody wants to talk about, which is the internet and mm -hmm. who's looming in the internet as this gets transmitted is the transmission of that, I'll call it transaction, that dialogue, that, that business process. If that's not encrypted, it's, Right. exposed on the internet and you don't know where it goes from there or maybe the company who built the product it has some liability that enabled that technology to happen and that service to happen so i didn't mean to go down this awkward dialogue um, of legal implications no, and, not and liability but um yeah i just think how do I behave about my financial data? How do I behave about my healthcare records? I lock them away. I do not leave them on my desk. I shred things. I do all of the things I possibly can do on my end. Um, I'm hopeful that my provider is following the same examples. But when you start to then transmit this dialogue and service over the internet, I get petrified because I think of the internet of things and the ever-connected um um, devices to the network and who's listening out there and who's tracking and capturing this data. Do I know? Yeah. You know, you have a VPN to connect into your network uh, when you're remote. That's a, that's a um, secure tunnel mm -hmm. so that the transmission, as you look at your financial data or your HR data or whatever, it's protected. But is there a VPN between me and the telehealth provider? What's what's a VPN? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't don't know, uh, you know, actually, let's let's go there. Why don't you explain just for, you know, the non IT listeners that are there, just what is a VPN and how you can have it for personal use to protect your information? Sure. Um, will do. Um, the NSA, by the way, National Security Agency, just kind of 
yesterday launched a, a home network uh, guidance, um, how to protect yourself at home. And I can certainly provide you that document. We've been sending it to all of our clients so that they can send it to their people. Um, but one of the things it talks about is first and foremost, protecting your own internal network. So do you know all the things connecting into your network? That's just you managing and segmenting and protecting things inside your network. But now you want to go from inside your network to someone else's network. We'll use the telehealth example. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going from my home Wi-Fi and internet, oh, uh, sorry, my home Wi-Fi network over the internet to your uh, location for this telehealth, that transmission, that, that line, we'll just call it a line, uh, is a network connection over the internet, which is insecure unless you apply this virtual private network capability that basically says, I will encrypt that specific um, uh, transaction between my home network or IP addresses and their network and IP addresses. And it creates a, a, a secure tunnel between the two. So you, you know the transmission can't be stolen in between. Yeah. That's what a VPN does. Yeah. And really, like everybody should be using one all the time when they can in the coffee shop, you know. Yes. Uh, on their trips, you know, overseas or, yep. or wherever it may be. Um, yes. I want to switch over. Do you, can you talk about this awesome security assessment that you all have on your website that, you know, com companies large and small could go fill out and quickly get a review of their information, security holes, um, even without, you know, engaging the Fellsway group, although, you know, your organization, you know, could help out more after, but just the, what, what that assessment uh, could give to somebody real quick. Yep. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. So first and foremost, what Felser group believes is security posture scoring or security uh, controls assessment alone isn't enough to understand if you have the ability to sustain resilience in your organization. So we have an additional uh, assessment we um, ask of our uh, and, you know, clients um, to take, which is how mature is your program? So we have a maturity assessment, a self-evaluation for you to gauge. I would like to be at this level of maturity for my organization, for my industry to, um, make sure that I feel that I'm able to be up and running for business the next day. So the maturity assessment is a simple 20 question uh, self eval across 10 attributes, program and policy, training and awareness, crisis management, risk management, things like that. And they're, they're pretty simple, simply provided questions and responses. And you have to pick where you are, but what it provides you is um, it provides a level of, I'll say resilience characteristics back to you as to, oh, okay, I might have passed an audit, but I can't sustain that over time because my maturity tells me I'm a little too low. So for instance, if we owned a coffee shop um, and uh, I was measuring your ability to maintain a level of coffee on hand to open the door for business. If I asked a control question, do you have coffee? You would say yes. But if I said, do you have an owner who, who manages the inventory of coffee on a daily basis with metrics? Well, where are you on the maturity scale of that? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have an owner, so you have a lower scale. Or we don't have metrics that prove. 
Well, then you're not going to be able to sustain that that simpler control ask of, yeah, we have coffee on hand. Well, then why'd you run out? So the point of you pointing out this self-eval, if you went to felsergroup.com and took these 20 questions, you would be able to see quickly where your gaps are in your program level maturity before you get exposed to any technical control failures. Because we don't like to move our, our clients from ignorance to negligence yeah. without first understanding where they are to manage their program. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. letting me talk about that. Yeah, no problem. I just think, uh, you know, I've taken it before. I know a few other people that have taken it before. And I think it's just a great high level to see where some holes are. But then also, like you're saying, roadmap out how you can fill those gaps um, and, you know, obviously make your organization more more secure in the long run. So. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So I um, we're almost coming to time and I have a question that I ask at the end of every podcast um, because I like to to ask hard questions, I guess. I don't know. Um, I want to know what you see as your superpower here on Earth. I would say um, translation of technology and technology risk into business terms so that action is taken that's a that's a clever skill because technical people want to talk about technical things business people want to talk about business value and enablement and it's hard to connect the two and i think that's my superpower is i can translate you not using a vpn leads to this impact to your business and i can talk it in simple terms that's a i think a gift yeah, I know we've worked with other clients before in the past, and I, I agree. I think that is totally your gift. You're able to put it in terms that my mom could understand um, or talk, you know, technical to that CISO and um, and be able to really help organizations. So, um, John, thank you so much for your time today, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks for tuning into The Verge Podcast, brought to you by Divergent, a leading healthcare IT consulting firm. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to hit the follow button to stay up to date with the latest IT developments and the exciting ways tech is transforming healthcare today.